Hey, we're in this series called That's What He Said. Uh, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So you can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to give you a warning today. Uh, we are taking notes very fast. It's going to be a, a, a condensed message, a faster message today, because we're ready to celebrate some baptisms, but it all goes together. And so you're going to want to write fast. If you don't take notes, you're going to want to take notes. If you do take notes, uh, you're going to want to take notes. It's just going to be one of those days. Uh, you can title the message this. It's really easy. It's salt and light. We're going to talk about salt and light today. And we're talking about in this series, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus preached. It's the greatest sermon of all sermons that's ever been preached in the history of all sermons. It's just an amazing sermon. It's an amazing message. And, and Jesus gives us some great feedback and great instruction and insight into what living a life with Jesus, what living a life of the kingdom actually looks like. And let me just go ahead and give you this preface real quick. That if you haven't begun a life with Jesus today, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling beat up. Because the truth of the matter is, the, the message of the Sermon on the Mount really isn't for you. So you get to listen today a little carefree. But here's the reality. It is a quite an amazing glimpse at what the adventure and the, and, and the impact that can be made when we give our lives to Jesus. It gives us an idea of what Jesus says when he says, carry your cross and follow me and we will change the world. It gives us an idea of what that looks like. So when we give our lives to Jesus, it really gives us this glimpse of the Sermon on the Mount gives us this idea of what it looks like. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful. Um, the 33rd president of the United States, Harry Truman, said this. This is a quote, direct quote from, from Harry Truman. He told me himself. That's not true because I didn't meet him. But he says this. He says, I do not believe that there is a problem in this country or in the world today that could not be settled if approached through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. What a bold statement from a politician, let, less, uh, let alone a president of the United States, right? Now, let me, let me preface it with this. I've already told you that it's for people that are committing their lives to make an impact with the kingdom of God and what God wants to do in and through and with us. I've already told you that, but here's, here's the other side of it. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that if I live the Sermon on the Mount the right way, God loves me more. I don't want you to think that you, you gain grace because we're studying this thing and we live it out. Because we never do things for God's love. We do it from God's love. That's why worship is so powerful because we worship. And, and, and yeah, I know we celebrate and at Radiate Church we talk about it. We're going to talk about it with baptisms in a minute. Because we're not silent and we're not quiet and we're not just that reserved. Like we want to be celebratory. You know, I just believe if we can celebrate touchdowns and birthday parties, we can celebrate a risen Savior every single Sunday that gave his life for me to have life. And I don't, I don't worship so that God, God goes, oh, I love you now. I worship because on the cross, God, I love you. God said, I love you. I worship, I serve not so that God gives me more grace. I serve because God has given me grace. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not worshiping for something that may happen in the future. I'm worshiping for something that he's already brought to pass. We're doing those things. And so the Sermon on the Mount, yes, it gives us these illustrations. And yes, it gives us these practicalities and these logistics on things to live out. But it's never working for something from God. It's always working from something God's given us. And we're always living this out because we love God, because we give him everything that we have. And so I want to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, as we continue going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and looking at the Sermon on the Mount over the next several weeks. If you're there, say, I'm ready. Here we go. If you don't have your Bible, they're on the screen. 
for you. I always think it's important to bring your Bible. If you, if you have one, if you don't, let us know. We'll get you one um, because I think it's important to write down and study. But here's what it says. It says this. You are the salt of the earth. Somebody say you are. You are, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under by foot. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. Say you are. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. No. I'm going to let it shine. All right. But on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light. I love this. How, how Jesus really kind of brings it down into logistics right here. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. But they glorify God, the Father who is in heaven. They don't glorify you for what you're doing. They see what you're doing and they glorify God for it. And, and I love how Jesus kind of takes these two things. And when we can read this and we read about salt and light, we can look at it and go, those are two really, really easily accessible things that we have in our life today, right? I mean, you can go, you'll go to a restaurant today or you'll go home today or wherever you eat some food today. Um, if you're not going to eat food today, I suggest that you eat something. It would be great. But you'll grab some salt. How many of you like salt, like on stuff like you like? Yeah. Some people like salt on their food. Some people just like a little food with their salt. It's just a little, it just depends, right? In the South, it's more food with your salt rather than salt with your food. You know, we love, because we, we use it with, with our meals because it's readily accessible. You can go to the grocery store on the way home today. You can pick up as much salt as you would like. You'll walk into your house today and you'll flip a switch. And when you flip that switch, there's a light that comes on in your house and illuminates so your path so that you can walk and so that you can see what's taking place. But in that day, when Jesus was speaking this, neither of those were readily available like they are today. Neither of those were easily accessible. Neither of those were easy to come by. And, and, and when he talks, we want to talk about the two things real quick. Let's talk about salt for a second. They say salt has like a couple thousand, a few thousand different uses. I feel like that may be a bit of a stretch, but I don't know. I'm no thought, like salt professional, right? But I just want to give you a few. For the sake of time, I've, I've cut it down to just a few different uses. Number one, uh, we use it as seasoning, right? We just talked about it. You're gonna put, you can put it on your food. Um, some of you put it on your food before you even try it, right? Salt, so, so we, we use it to season the food if it's a little bland or whatever, and it gives it a little flavor, gives it a little taste, gives it a little whatever, right? And the reality is is that Jesus is probably looking at Christians and going, you should be the seasoning to the world. What salt is to food, Christians should be to the world. Christians should be the seasoning. Christians should be the flavoring. Christians should be that which makes, which makes what's bland tasteful. And if we're not careful and we don't live in this concept of being seasoning everything else can season us rather than us seasoning it we can let everything else affect us and season our lives and season our thoughts and season our opinions and season our stances and season our churches and season our faith instead of our faith seasoning everything else and i feel like jesus is probably looking and going hey why don't you be the taste because watch this i believe that jesus in a way is looking and going if the world is bland and tasteless look in the mirror as followers of Jesus, your job is to add taste, add, add, add seasoning of the kingdom of God to the world. Christians should make the world a better place. 
So if people are being turned away from Jesus by the way that we are living or making the world, then we are not being the correct seasoning. And we've done the wrong thing, the opposite. Let's keep going. So there's seasoning. And then there's preservative. And that day, uh, they, watch this. This is crazy. Uh, refrigerators weren't even invented until 1834. They didn't have refrigerators back then. And refrigerators weren't even common in the households until 1913. So what we consider common is still actually relatively new, right? And that day they didn't have it. So if they went hunting and they got a harvest, they had to do one of two things. They had to either eat it all in one sitting, eat it all really quickly or else it would spoil, or they had to find a way to preserve the meat so that they could eat it whenever they had time. And so they would take salt, and salt would draw out the moisture, and it would protect the meat from bacteria growing on the meat so that they could eat it at another time. What if we are called to be the preservatives of the kingdom of God in a world that is decaying? The Bible teaches us that there's only one thing that should never pass away, and that is the kingdom of God. That is eternity. It says it is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is always here, and it shall never be shaken. What if, as believers in Jesus, we're called to be preservatives of the kingdom of God? We're called to be preservatives of his values, of his vision, of his intentions, of his grace, of his love, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, of all of those things. What if we're called to be the preservatives of the kingdom of God in a world that will and is decaying today? It's quite a, quite a statement, isn't it? Quite a thought. In fact, D.L. Moody has this thought about something like this. He says, out of 100 men... Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. Let me say it again. Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. And the other 99 will read the Christian. Do you know how many times when people find out I'm a pastor, they, they like to tell me, I love Jesus. But I lived in a, in a house where my parents did this. And I lived in a world, in a house where my former husband did this. Or I lived in, and I've seen this, and I've seen that. And some of the most hateful people I know claim to be Christians and all this stuff. And I just want you to know something. The world is reading us. And people that don't know Jesus may not pick up the Bible, but they're waiting on us to be Jesus with skin on. To show people what it looks like to preserve the kingdom of God in a world that is decaying. In a world that doesn't offer the value that the kingdom does. In a world that doesn't offer the value that Jesus does. So there's preservative, there's seasoning, there's preservative. And then here's another one. This one will be kind of odd for you, or maybe you know this, but it's currency. It's currency. Actually, uh, the, the word salary is Latin. The Latin word for salary is salarium, and salarium also means salt. The reason that it was used as currency was because salt was so hard to come by and it was so valuable that the Romans would pay their guards and, and their soldiers in salt. You ever heard the phrase, that person isn't worth their salt? Isn't worth their weight in salt? That's where it comes from. Is that they used to get paid in salt. Nobody's going to go to their job this week and when they, their paycheck hits on Thursday or Friday, they're not going to be handed a salt shaker. Or it's not going to be direct deposited into your kitchen. But that was a reality for those guys in that day. Is they got paid in that. And, and I just want this to kind of be a thought that maybe Jesus may have been looking and going, you are too valuable to pass up. In fact, there's a quote. I don't know the origin of the quote, but I'll tell you the quote and the thought and the concept is this. It's you can determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. 
And I don't know about you, but when I look at the story of Jesus and I look at the story of my life, and it's the fact that my father loves me enough to try to redeem everything that I have put in between me and him that has separated relationship between me and the father. And through Jesus, he gave his son and he paid the price for my life. I can't let any circumstance, any person, any job, any relationship, any, anything that has happened to me come into a place and tell me my value because I already know how much he's willing to pay for it. And so my value is higher than what anybody else can tell me. That's why our phrase for 10 years has been, you matter, because some of us in this room today need to understand, you matter. Your value has already been set. Your value has already been given. I don't care what your husband told you this morning. I don't care what your parents told you 15, 20 years ago. I don't care what your kids said to you today. I don't care what your boss thinks. I don't care what your salary says. I'm here to tell you, your value was set on the cross at Calvary when his blood shed for your life. Your value is already there. But no matter, and so you may be going, well, which one is it? Which one is it? Which one is he talking about? I don't know which one relates to you because there's a million more we could talk about. There's a million more we could talk about that he could have been referring to in that moment. But Jesus doesn't go into more context. He doesn't give more. So I would just say which one speaks to you. But regardless of the interpretation, there's three truths that we have to know. I told you we were going quick about salt. And it's this. Number one, application matters. Application of salt matters. I don't think any of us go and buy a big old thing of salt and then go, I hope this season's my food, but we never get it out of the thing of salt. At some point, we got to put it in the shaker and we got to turn it over and we got to start shaking and we got to start applying the salt into where we want it to be, right? And yes, y'all are looking at me like, you're going to have to vacuum that later. Yes, we'll take care of it. But at some point, application matters and I think what happens is what's hard is many of us get the salt of the kingdom of God in our lives and then we refuse to open the canister application matters the only way salt does anything that changes anything is when the salt is applied directly to that thing we have to learn in our lives that I love how Jesus says it he says live your life in such a way that people glorify God for your actions in other words, apply the kingdom in such a way that God gets the glory and God gets the credit. Apply the kingdom, apply the salt that he's given you. Salt is only activated by its presence, never its absence. Let's let the kingdom of God change the world through the presence in our lives, not the absence. Here's the second thing, the amount matters. The amount matters. And one of the other, and I, I, I didn't want to teach on this too much because I'm limited time today, but one of the other applications that they would use back in that day for salt was to kill crops. What they would do is they'd go in and they'd take over a town, and after they were done taking your women and your children and burning down your village and probably enslaving you and turning you into a guard and a Roman soldier and all these other things, they'd go in and they'd take these, these things of salt and they would sprinkle it all over your crops and all over your, your farms because it would kill them because if too much salt was applied, it would kill everything that it came into contact with. It would burn it all up. That just seems like a low blow. You're taking, you've taken everything. Now you're just killing whatever I could have that would sustain and the reality is, is the amount matters. You ever made a recipe and gotten the amount wrong? When you go home today and you try to cook something, instead of a teaspoon, when it calls for a teaspoon of salt, put a tablespoon or put a cup. You won't eat whatever that is you're trying to cook. You ever messed up a recipe and by the time you took the bite, that's when you realized you messed up the recipe? Been there, done that, right? 
And the reason is, is because too much of something is not a good thing. That's why maturity in Christ is often knowing when to cut back. Knowing when to say no. It's not that some of the things we need to say no to are inherently bad by themselves. It's we don't know when to stop. And so we overindulge on the TV shows. We overindulge on the alcohol. We overindulge on the things that are taking us places that God never intended us to go in the first place. The amount matters. But then too little doesn't do anything, does it? If I just walk up, like I like salt on my eggs, right? And so if I put salt on my scrambled eggs and I just go, that's probably, I got like three, more, three grains of salt and that, I, like I'll take half a bite and I'll be able to taste it and that's it. So I've got to learn that sometimes I just got to go and I got to, I got to do it the right way because not enough changes nothing, but too much does harm. That's why sometimes when people come to Christ and they're in our life group, we can't look at them and go, tell me the seven Greek names for Jesus. <laughs> Bro, I just learned that Christ wasn't his last name. I don't know the rest of this stuff. <laughs> and watch this. Here's the beauty. Both of them are okay. It's okay to be at whatever stage you're at. And then, so application matters and amount matters. And attitude matters. Attitude matters. Don't sometimes we can say all the right stuff in what? The wrong way. Men, we've heard this statement. It's not what you said, it's... In other words, some of us get to this place where we're like... you act that way I know you just got saved last week but how dare you wear that how dare you say that how dare you you think that and some of us come off like a an assault gun in people's faces man it's like ah! and we can't be seasoning and we can't be preservative whenever we're just shooting people in the face and now they're turned away from the gospel altogether and then we want to look at them and go, why don't you go to church? Well, this girl, she'd get up and pray and worship every Sunday, but then after church, she'd come up to me and go, I can't believe you. It's just kind of fun to shoot this, if I'm going to be quite honest. Attitude matters. Some of us, as followers of Jesus, we got to have a little bit of an attitude adjustment. we got to stop trying to shoot people in the face, and we just got to start like, doing what God asked us to do. Because our life should be a constant reminder of the seasoning of God. Not just a blast here and a blast there. Not just a, like an aggressive mode here, an aggressive mode there. No, it should be a constant reminder that God is always walking with us. And then Jesus goes from salt and he starts talking about light. And, and, and he uses this example of be a light and don't, don't put it under a box or this little light of mine. I'm going to what? I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel. That was good. I'm a choir director today. See, I love this example too because a light that's hidden can't really do much, can it? But when you take the cover off of it, it can now illuminate what was dark around it. And here's really what Jesus was saying. You got to stop hiding the light except when it's convenient for you. 
Facebook? Nah. Small group? Yeah. Work? Nah. Church friends? Yeah. Worship in the car? Nah. Worship at church? Woo! And y'all know we, we live this way sometimes, don't we? And Jesus is going, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to be consistent. Come on. Just be who you are. In other words, he's going, if there's darkness in the world, it's because you've got a box on your light. If you're a believer in Jesus, he goes, just remove the box and it changes everything. And the, and the disciples had to be like really confused. Because in John chapter 8, Jesus is looking at the disciples and he goes, hey, I am the light of the world. And now in Matthew chapter 5, he's looking and he's going, you are the light of the world. So I can just see him sitting back and going, which one is it, Jesus? Both. Because the Bible also teaches that when I give my life to Jesus, I am now filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that now lives within me, which means that the same light that He carries is the same light that I don't have to hide, which means that every dark place that I enter in my life, in my marriage, at work, at church, in the community, no matter what, if I remove the box, then the light begins to shine. And that's the, yeah, that's the impact you and I, no matter where we are, no matter if we're in Florence today, no matter if we're online today, no matter if we're in Columbia today, that is the impact we get to make because Jesus promises us that you carry the same light that, grows, that raised the, the dead, that got me up three days later. You carry the same light. And here's what I love in closing is this. Light doesn't have to try to be light. Light just is light. Salt doesn't have to try to be salt. Salt just is salt. See, Jesus, when he's speaking in Matthew chapter 5 right here, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, go and try to be salt and go and try to be light. No, he goes, you are. You already are. In other words, he's saying, just go and be who you are. Just go and do what I've put in you to do. Just go and live out what I've placed inside. Just go and season the world the way I've seasoned your life. That is why I, I love the fact that we get to talk about this on Baptism Sunday because 11 people are about to go under one person and they're going to come back up symbolic of what Jesus has done in their life and now we get to step out of that tub and we get to walk out of this church and we get to go, you know what? I gave Jesus my life and he gave me his life and now I get to live in such a way that I can season and preserve that I can be a part of the light and the salt of the world of the kingdom of God where we are today. I don't have to be a bystander I can be a participant in the entire thing and I love that there's this new thing to where we can go you know what I'm not doing this for grace or for love I'm doing it because he has grace for me and because he loves me I'm just living out what I have the opportunity to live out because he's that good and he's that loving and he's that graceful and we get to celebrate that in just a moment. In Florence, let me give a couple of instructions. We are one family in now multiple locations. That's an amazing thing. And so in Florence today, you get to jump and cheer and shout and clap and cry. And, and just like we do here because your family is getting baptized today. 
And Aaron's going to come up in just a minute. And y'all, this is amazing. We're going to hold, next time we're going to have our first ever baptism service in Florence as well. Can we celebrate that? And Aaron, when, we, when she comes up and we get started in baptism in Florence, you're going to find out how you can go ahead and register for that and be a part of that. But today we celebrate as a family. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet because we're going to worship together one more time and then we're celebrating this. But if you don't mind, would you close your eyes for a moment? I just want to pray over us. And if there's anybody in the room that goes, man, I heard about a God today that I need to give my life to. And I need that forgiveness and I need that salvation and I need that new relationship, that restorative, transformative relationship with Jesus Christ today. And I want to be somebody that he uses to make a difference. And I want to live that out and I want to pray the prayer and ask Jesus to come into my life and start a new relationship that lasts for eternity with me today. If that's you, all over this room, if you want to pray that prayer of salvation, would you hold your hand up right where you are? I'm not calling you up. I just want to pray. I just want to pray with you. That's all. Amen. pray father we love you and I thank you that you gave your son he gave his life to give us life help us live this out and be the salt and the light of the world of the kingdom so that we can show people the grace the mercy the love the forgiveness that you've given us God I love you and I thank you that we get to do this we get to worship, we get to pray, we get to spend time with you as a family. And God, thank you for those that are getting baptized today. Let us celebrate with joy in our hearts in celebration.